asking me something? Well, no, we were talking about it, and now I've hit record. So we were talking about an article before the show, and you said they had done some research right. about how many days it takes or, or to make or break a habit. That's right. The uh, California Institute of Technology, um, you know, that myth. Well, it is a myth. They have determined it's a myth that that old uh, adage about, you know, 21 days makes a habit. Stick to something for 21 days and it becomes just part of your life. Uh, anyway, they've just blown holes in that and they said it's ridiculous and uh there's no basis to it at all. It all depends on the person and the task is what they're saying. And, and, and the that, situation. That, and that exam and the situation, the example mm-hmm. is brilliant in this article. Yes. Uh, the situation, yes, uh, they tracked people at hospitals during uh, COVID. People that worked at hospitals that didn't normally have to wash their hands as part of their routine, they asked them to. And easily within 21 days, it became a habit. They didn't think twice about just going in and washing their hands. They also tracked people uh, with things like uh, weightlifting and uh, uh, jogging and running and stuff like that. And uh, the whole 21-day thing was uh, blown to smithereens because the harder the task, the harder it is to accept it as your lifestyle. And I thought that that's why I I was just ruminating about it, because I think it's brilliant that we all did the same thing. We all went from never washing our hands more than a few times a day. Yes, to when the pandemic hit, we all went into a different mode almost immediately. It didn't take 21 days for you and Doll and I and Rachel to start, you know, no. uh, spraying things and cleaning and, you know, wiping down the groceries. We did it immediately. And I right. think I think that article and I, I want to read it because because I think that when you're motivated, depending on your motivation and that's when I get back to this coffee thing and the weed thing. My motivation was I had a heart scare, so I was immediately motivated to make an instant change, and I did. Howard, that is, uh, that's, uh, you're so uh, right about that, because Delise often says to me, she's concerned that I start my day with a couple of uh, cups of coffee with nothing in my stomach. She's read, she's heard, she feels that it's not good for you. Well, I continue to do it, and I don't have much incentive to stop. I don't because I enjoy it. Now, if all of a sudden I was having stomach problems or there was some consequence to it, then I might be, like you were, motivated to change that. Is it a habit or whatever that is? Routine. 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 I would be. Yeah, sometimes you need consequences. Even like weight loss, you know, if I, you know, take it upon yourself, oh, I'm going to start a routine tomorrow to lose some weight. Well, most people, and we see it around New Year's, they don't last long because it's hard. However, if a doctor came to you and said, listen, you better lose 15, 20 pounds or this is going to have major consequences on the heart problem you have. Well, then it's a different it's a different arena. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, mm-hmm. all three of us know people that have had pretty major health issues. And what surprises me is when I hear about somebody or I know a friend of a friend who says, oh, yeah, so-and-so had this terrible problem. And then they didn't change. I'm, yes. like, I'm like, really? And I mean, hey, everyone's got their reasons. I mean, well, you know, you gotta, a guy's got to have some fun. But uh, well, it's a personality thing, too, right? Oh, yeah. You know, one person could just like if the doctor said, listen, you, you know, you have these uh, you have this heart issue or whatever, and you need to lose the weight. 
you know, person A could get right on top of it. Person B might for a couple of days and then think, ah, fuck it. Or <laughs> sorry, these pepper rats are delicious. <laughs> no, I don't. Person C, I'm not sure. Yeah, what about person? I, I know what D? person A and B would do, but yeah, C, but, I'm not sure. But. Yeah, what about person D? Uh, speaking of person D, here's Dan Duran. This episode of Humble and Fred is being broadcast to the world from the well-equipped Humble and Fred Studios in Toronto, from our cottage-like Brampton facility, and Howard's Kitchen Island next to the coffee maker, and is brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Aaron Ventures, evnet.ca, and GoDaddy. And now... Just to get it over with, here are two men whose blood pressure is good. Their joints are as sore as they were yesterday. Fred wins yesterday's step count, and their poop is secure. It's Humble and Fred. Thank you, Dan Duran. I tell you what, I uh, had some good steps on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all three days over 12, 12 to 15,000 steps. And then yesterday, when winter came back, I was uh, under a couple thousand. What did you say? What was the words you used about the weather yesterday? You said well, it was uh, just cruel. It was cruel. Well, it was cruel after that run of beautiful weather. Like it was like 23 or 24 degrees on Sunday. And then yesterday there's sleet here in Brampton. I went out to grab some groceries in the afternoon. It was downright awful. I put a hoodie on thinking that would be enough. It couldn't have changed that much. I had to go back in and put my my uh, sort of jacket on. <laughs> I was, and I thought this is cruel. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I can handle the transition, but this and today's even worse. No, so I know. You know. I was. Why well, was today, I? Right? I think the high is going to be five. <laughs> I was out with Stan about an hour ago, and you know, I've got two layers on now and long pants again. <laughs> Yesterday during the show, I try. I attempted because I, I was trying to be like, okay, psychologically. I'm not going to give in to this. And so I wore shorts during the show yesterday. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the show was over, I went and changed. I was freezing. And if you look at the long-term forecast, it's... Uh, it's gross. You know, yeah, it's... Uh, and I ain't coming around anytime soon. Oh, no, I've looked. I was going to bring it up, but I know I didn't want you to think I wasn't living in the moment. It's well, season. we said that before the show. You tried to come back on me about... No. Complaining about the weather, but I said, well, last week, while it was beautiful, you were stressing out over the, the way the weather was going to be in a week from there. I don't so like- yesterday it bothered me because I was living in the moment mm. and the moment said sleet. Yeah. Why don't you live in this moment? Um, uh, uh, I don't recall any of that. Dan, what were you going to say? Just, I was just going to say this is seasonal. This is the weather we're experiencing now is kind of right up and down the line yes. of what it should be. We should be getting this time of year. So April showers bring me as, as cruel as you think it is. No, the transition, the, uh, the transition was cruel. If we had not had the run of unseasonable warm weather, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't have been cruel. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that was a transition. good long run, too. That was like a six or seven day stretch of ridiculous. And and that's why I refer to it as April is the big lie, because we always get some of that in April for some reason. And then we always have this. So what's the big deal? No, I know. But uh, oh, one of the weather specialists last week was talking about, you know, we get warm days in April, but never rarely do we get a run. Of seven, eight days the way we did. That was yeah. really unique. And and at that temperature, like Friday, I got back. I was playing uh, golf. You may be surprised. But I was playing golf Friday. I got back in my car, and I think I said to you, it was like 31 degrees. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. That's not just, you know, a nice April day. That was like, it's too hot. Yeah. 
Um, a lot of a lot of plants and and things have have fl- started budding and flowering. I don't know. Oh yeah, I had a schedule. Oh, oh yeah. Them. The weeping willows across the, in the park in front of me are just pretty much mm. out. It's wonderful. And then I have two trees at the back here that <laughs> the leaves are out. They're nice. But, uh, mm. so Do you want to describe the big, more? The big trees, not yet. Mm. Although I noticed driving down the Don Valley on Saturday, just that far south, how much farther ahead the leaves are than they are out here in Bramtooney. Yeah. Interesting because uh, at my golf course, which is north of, is it north of seven? Well, it's north north of this. Uh, it still hasn't really started. But down here, like you said, like I got yeah. trees are starting to bud right here in front of the uh, studios. That those trees along the Queensway are starting to get their buds back. I wonder what it's like in the Niagara region. No. because they're usually a couple of weeks ahead <laughs> we of should, us. We should get a report. Or southwestern Ontario, Windsor. It must oh, be like, fuck, the yeah. tomatoes must be already. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to get to our updates from yesterday? Because uh, I, I wanted to do it while Dan's here because. Uh, some of them concerned Dan, but go ahead if you have something else first. No, no, no. I, we were talking about habits and yes, you know, let's go and, back to um, that exercise and all that. And I had a story I thought I'd bring it up while Dan's here because he's very intolerant of you know overweight people. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I think people just let's not leave that hanging. Do you want people should understand? Dan hates the fat. Just hates them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's not, just here, the world. Notice, by the way, you notice he's not denying it. He can't because he can't uh-huh. because can Jesus because Jesus won't let him tell a fib. Dan hates the obese. <laughs> right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just okay. I read this story about a uh, plus size influencer named Jalen Cheney lives in Washington. Well, Vancouver, Washington, actually. And she started this campaign online because again, she's an influencer that. What ob- and she's obese. What obese people um, uh, go through when flying and how unfair it is. Mm. Like sometimes people refuse to sit beside obese people because they're infringing on their seats. I've seen it. You know what I mean? I I can't remember whether I've actually experienced it, but it can be trying those little seats and. An obese person sits in one and they're hanging into your seat mm-hmm. and how that can cause problems. Not fair. Mm-mm. Anyway, her thing is the airlines now should offer free seats to obese people. Like this is her, like she's pushing hard for this. So if you're of a certain size, you phone the airline and they should, without question, offer you two seats. Not one. At, uh, for the price of one. Two seats for the price of one. Because the onus should be on them to make your trip comfortable. And if you're twice the size of the average person, well, then, again, it's on the airline. It's not on you to lose weight. Because, you know, again, it's part of where we're at nowadays that, you know, obesity and weight isn't necessarily the person's fault. It's their genetics or it's their metabolism or whatever. And I just thought, like, this is, like, fascinating, like, She's going forward and actually contacted the airlines and some of the airlines have responded. And, you know, the airlines have to respond in such a way where they can't be blunt and say, you know, lose weight or forget it. That's not yeah, they, they have to be sensitive to uh, they have to have the sensitive plight. and all this double talk yes. about they'll yeah. consider it and, you know, and they'll try to right. work into their budget. But I'm I'm thinking uh, I don't they, I, I don't think they should get a free seat for being overweight. Do you? Here's where I'll go back further than that. Where do you fucking get the audacity to ask? 
No. Like, where does the where does the gumption, the balls, the temerity, where does that come from? Because you talk about yeah, the humility, and well, she argues the humility they you know fat people often go through when getting on planes and. The things that may be said to them and how dam- and all of damaging that, it is psychologically. And, okay, well, all of that's true. Mm-hmm. All of that, may, I'm sorry. May, it could happen. All yes, of that yeah, may yeah. be true, <laughs> and that's a drag. But thinking it's the airline's responsibility is so 2023. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I, I almost immediately was like, way back when you were describing that thought. Mm-hmm. Only, that's, that's Dan Duran level. I'm sorry, are you getting a phone call? No, it's fine. It's all right. Is that Fred Ball? No. That's Dan Duran level gumption, though. Dan, you must admire that. Oh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you'd, you'd mind. I guess you could make an argument the other way. It's like if we make allowances in our society for things like uh, handicap parking, or I'm sorry, accessible parking, whatever the appropriate term is now. Come on, Dan. Um, there are no handicaps. They're handy-able. Right. Or whatever. Right. So those parking spots with the blue sign with the wheelchair yeah. on it, those spots, that's being, uh, in our society, we've decided to make make that area, uh, you know, those are closer to the entrance. So sure, people to make it more convenient and accessible. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Yes, yes, I totally get that. But if somebody pulled into one of those spots and it was because they were obese, you would have a different view of that than you would if, you know, they were missing a leg or they were, you know, um, uh, uh, paraplegic or, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And and where does it, like, Mm -hmm. again, back to the idea that that person, and again, with I fully understand all the plight of somebody on an airplane having to be having the discomfort of it mm-hmm. but to to think the airline's responsibility is to make seats available for bigger people hey listen the airline seats are small for everybody and i can yes, understand if you're and and given the size of human beings now versus you know when these were designed i get it maybe there should be uh, uh maybe the dimensions should be bigger but it's not the airline's responsibility to give you free seats because you're you're overweight. Right. But again, Dan, that's a sort of a good analogy. And I'm sure the airlines have made provisions for people, again, paraplegics and quadriplegics and people that just, you know, have had surgeries or whatever. But, you know, and then some might argue that obesity is somewhat self-inflicted and that takes you into a whole different area yeah. of whether it is or not, what's fair. My question would be, what is the cutoff point? So I phone the airline, and at <laughs> what right. point do I get the free seat? That's right. My you jeans, I mean? my jeans are a little tight. Well, this you know this thing too, where you go to the airport with your carry on. Now you got to yeah, put yeah. it in that little thing to see if it sure. fits. So is that what they have at the airport now? If you're like obese, you go and they have this cage or something, and you got to walk in. And if you, you know, that's right. you, why does it if have you're to, too big wait, for this cage? You get a free seat. Why can't it just be a seat? Why does it have to be a cage? Well, 
<laughs> Why do you go? Because those hey. things that you put your the, your carry on in, it looks like a little. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. But no, for, so if, 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 wouldn't if, there just be a fat seat? <laughs> hey, if you can. Fred, Fred is advocating <laughs> caging fat people. I don't understand where we. Now we're caging fat people. I don't agree with that. I just had this image. So no, you I walk don't. into this cage like structure, and if your fat hangs out, then, oh, you qualify for a free seat. But to, to make more, it makes more sense if you just had the fat seat there. And if oh, somebody. The fat seat. The yeah, fr- it's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> you had the fat seat. And if some of your goose spilled out over it, you get a free one. But then where's the cutoff? How many of the uh, obese can we handle on one flight? And you talk about, listen, having um, a parking lot for handicapped people really isn't that much of an infringement on me. Yes, they're right at the front. And I would like the front parking spot, blah, blah, blah. But what if I want to take a flight and there's no seats available because half a dozen fat people are now using 12 seats? How how is that fair to me as someone exactly that great has great a mind point. to their weight yeah, exactly <laughs> to your point, a, Fred? Uh, I was, I was going to suggest there's another uh, aspect of it is that like a, what's to say that someone who is very tall doesn't get a hmm. seat with more room like the this? height, the height uh, aware the height challenged. What about yeah. small people? What are they up to? Um, well, well listen, then, right. You could you could phone the airline and say, you know, listen, um, me and my husband are dwarfs. Uh, can we have one seat, please? We're, are we, I don't we think just want one Do we call seat, people uh, dwarfs? Seat. What do we call them, Dan? Little people. Little people. Okay, me and my husband hand. are little people. We so would just we like would to just pay like for to one seat. Yeah, One seat. And we'll share why, a seat. Why phone. wouldn't that be fair? <clears throat> In fact, we don't even need a seat. We'll hang out on the overhead. That'll just be fine. <laughs> just a mattress. And a, yeah. a seatbelt. That wouldn't be bad, actually. No, exactly. It'd be comfortable. It'd be like a little, you know what? It'd be like a little mini pod. Uh-huh. But all these, all these questions, I mean, you know, in this world we live in where everybody has to be considered and everything has to be fair, I don't necessarily think that is fair, what this woman's asking for. I, well, that was the first thing I said. And I'll tell you, what about mm-hmm. someone like me? I would call up the airline and say, I have a very, very bony ass. I need, uh, right. I need extra padding. Mm-hmm. Can you make... and? I would like a, uh, <laughs> like a free entree. Or I could phone up and say, listen, you know, people aggravate me. I don't want anyone on either side of me, including my wife, okay? Because <laughs> people, people aggravate me. That's right. So I, I can't be, yeah, you know, I can't be triggered by having anyone on either <laughs> side of me. I hate everybody. I need the plane all to myself. Can you make that happen? Yeah. Um, okay. We, are we, can we move on from that now? Yes. Do you yes. have any other questions about different people of society? No, that's it. All right. Well, yesterday we talked about uh, Dan Duran uh, and the fact that he um, Hi guys. does not wear Hi guys. underpants. And uh, Fred, I think you have an email there from our friend Jennifer Kelly. And by the way, the reason we're doing today is because I said to Fred before the show, you know, we start doing, we, yeah, we're doing all the emails on Friday. That's great. But a lot of stuff happens day to day where people comment on something that happened the day before. So in these cases, this is why we're acknowledging this email. Hi, guys. Uh, yes, uh, Dan is like a rock star. That's the subject line from Jennifer Kelly. Uh, Dan is like a rock star because he doesn't wear underwear. Uh, have a listen to Simon LeBon's 45-minute, uh, or um, listen to Simon LeBon at the 45-minute mark on a, sp- a Smartless episode. Simon hasn't worn underwear for 20 years either because he's a rock star. Yeah. Way to go, Dan. You really rock. <laughs> How about that, Danny? <laughs> Great. Oh, I agree with that man. 
Uh, and it's uh, just so funny that I heard you guys talking about that this morning, and then I go and listen to Smartless, and it's all about the same thing. And I'm uh, glad you made it home, Howard, is another point she makes. My husband pooped his pants on a train in England. But he actually pooped his pants. Yes. Like, you didn't. Because I didn't. I was close. Yeah. And Howard was talking about this yesterday again, if you heard the show. Uh, she said, uh, well, this was happening to my husband. He looked at me in panic, repeating, I'm going, Jen, I'm going. <laughs> I still split. <laughs> I still split. I got laughing telling this story, uh, which I was, uh, wasn't allowed to tell for years. And I guess now she can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we had to get off at our stop, which was the uh, Lutton Airport. So no chance to get on the train. He went to the bathroom to tidy up at the airport. And uh, he takes off his bo- boxers to throw them out and uh, go commando. Well, there, uh, there was no garbage in the washroom. Uh, so he left his shitty boxers shoved beside the toilet. I think a lot of people have done that. Oh, yeah. She says, poor, uh, poor cleaning staff. Uh, love you guys, Jen. So that encompasses all of the stories. Uh, that's uh, Dan Duran not wearing underwear, me nearly crapping myself, and then him, her husband, having to, you know, go commando. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so thank you're you. You're a rock star, Dan. So there you go. You, you. you know, Dan, see, every time we think we've caught you on something, it turns out that you're leading edge. <laughs> that you're, you're really ahead of yourself. Right. And I'm in Toronto, so I am wearing it. Oh, that's right. He, he came back to my place last night. Yeah. And, uh, but did you have underwear on when you arrived at my house? Uh, yes, because okay. I was in the city all day. Oh, all right. In the city. By the way, I'm somewhat proud of our... Uh, you and I, Howard. Why not? Actually, we went through. Come to think of it, I was just thinking about this now. Come to, we went through that whole airline seat thing mm. without making a dander and dick joke. You know about <laughs> it was pretty good. Oh, dan it was the obvious hug. Sure, been, oh, Dan, do you do you want an extra seat so you can <laughs> lay your lumber on the other side? Yeah, you know, I thought we were yeah. going to go there, but I, we didn't. You know what? Until this moment, I never even thought about it. But I, now I'm ashamed I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> what a missed opportunity. Um, okay, and this is uh, another email. I, and I, I'm going to bring this up only because uh, it's happened now a couple times Hi recently. Guys. Hi uh, guys. This happened on Friday, and uh, partly want to acknowledge a brand new listener. And then I'm going to make a, a larger point. But it's a guy named Sean Van Santi says, Hey guys, I ran into Humble on Friday afternoon at a local Oakville establishment. This guy was in. I was, I, I was on my way back from golf, and I stopped at a juice bar. I was hungry. And he was there with his daughter. And he says, Howard took a few minutes to chat with an old fan. It was a, I was a huge CFNY fan back in the day when you rocked Toronto with your morning show. Still the best morning show to this day, in my humble opinion, says Sean. Anyways, humble made me promise. I had quite a conversation with this guy. And he said, Humble made me promise to listen to one podcast. And then he put some brackets for some silly reason. I had never looked it up before. Only one said Humble, and you will love it. Well, wow. I listened to the most recent podcast and couldn't turn it off. I'm assuming he's talking about yesterday's shit fest. <laughs> He says, you guys have always done a great job, and if I had millions, I would own a radio station and pay you rock star, there's that name, uh, word again, Mm. pay you rock star money. Thanks for reuniting all those years ago. You have made listening to the radio, or iPhone at least, fun again. Sincerely, 
Sean. So lots of great there. I'm very, very appreciative. Um, and it was a great conversation. He sort of was, saw me in the store and said, humble. And I'm like, yeah. And uh, where you been? All that conversation. And I said, we do a show every day, blah, blah, blah. You know the routine. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I wanted to bring it up, and not only to acknowledge he did listen, which is nice. But yesterday I'm at Sketchy Sobeys to check in some stuff out. Bubble chicken here for you if you need it, Dan. Oh. For your lunch. And um, mm. this woman, you know, probably late 40s, early 50s, says, uh, hey, are you Humble Howard? I'm like, yeah. She goes, wow, I'm a big fan, CFMY. Same thing that Sean just said. And here's what she said that really irked to me. She said, you guys, I guess you guys haven't been doing anything in a long time. And I said, well, no, as a matter of fact, Freddie and I, blah, 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 do a show, blah, 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 podcast. You know, here's the link to it. And, and why it irked me is because of that five years we spent. And I know I'm bringing up another thing. I don't need to get into it a lot, but it just reminded me that those five years we spent getting zero support from those nitwits on uh, Canada Laughs mm-hmm. when there was... This is just, you know, what they used to say about radio. If there's one, there's a thousand. These are just two people on two separate days that would have been thrilled to know we had a show. Mm -hmm. Would have been listening for years. Thoughts, comments, concerns. What's the use? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's just not the environment here. It's, they don't, it's just not the environment to do that and isn't it a shame this was a popular toronto show if we put it on this national feed and promote it it might get a following they just it just doesn't go that far and we know that and it's just the way it is that's just the way it is baby and uh but what a great guy sean i mean you know and, and and i often will say that to people who approach me as i said to this lovely person yesterday i said okay just give this here's the thing just try it and, and by the way that person i spoke to yesterday not a podcast listener has never listened to a podcast and i said it's really easy you just i said you have spotify she said no i said do you have itunes she said no i said well the simplest thing is this just google humble and fred the podcast and then just click play and i said just give it once yeah i said if you liked our show before Kind of what I said to Sean. If you thought you liked the show we did on the edge, you're going to love this show. I said, Dan's there. We talk about poo. We swear. I said that to the, I said that to the checkout lady. I said, we say fuck a lot. <laughs> she, laughed. Um, she laughed. But yeah, I only bring up the serious thing because oftentimes you and I wank about shit here and we sound like, have you, and you've said this, we sound like, oh, it's sour grapes. But the reason I brought it up is we were right. I was right when I told those guys. We were right. We said, dudes, there's a, there's a whole audience that's in your sweet spot, can afford serious, would love satellite. Mm-hmm. But you no, know you know, they, they thought better. They, you know what they thought? They thought Arlene Bynan, that's the fucking, that's the uh, entry point for people on this network. Yeah, but that fucking john lewis you know he was you know he was of that ilk where he was impressed because she was on global news once so that's got to be that's got to be something <laughs> anyway <laughs> and that's exactly how he talked no, no fucking idea no, anyway no. anyway i just thought i'd um, like but to thank sean for listening and uh the lovely person at the sobeys and you know maybe if you well, know hum, if you know an old humble and fred listener tell them if i can listen to the show that um Another observation I made, the way this 
podcasting thing has evolved and, you know, on demand, you know, it was a few years ago and people would say that like, oh, I really like your podcast, man. A radio station should have you on, you know, doing that show. Mm. And then you think, well, you know, like we were on um, Funny 820, that little AM segment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the problem is the way things have evolved now, and so many people have adopted the podcast and are aware of it now, and where they weren't just a few years ago, you know, this show wouldn't work on regular radio now. Number one, our subject matter and the whole woke world in which we live, you really have to watch what you say, because you could even have a subject matter that would seem somewhat innocent, but somebody might take it the wrong way on public airwaves. So that would just lead to one headache after another. Plus the on-demand thing, it's... Like, like, why would we be on a radio station doing this show and you have to be listening while it's on? Mm-hmm. There, there's just no need for that anymore with the spoken word. And not long ago, we were saying, you know, what's the future of radio? Well, it's not music because of all the music services. It's the spoken word. Well, I, I'm not even sure it's that now because of on demand and, you know, podcasts being so user friendly now. So I, I don't know what the future is for that medium. But isn't it ironic that and I had this conversation with uh, Spencer and her friend, uh, their friend was here last night. We we're having dinner and friend was asking me questions about how we started because they just spent some time in the studio and i said when when i just reminded myself that when we started i said to be honest freddie and i thought well this will be a way to show the radio community that we could still be a viable show and i said the irony now is the way we've set up our lives i don't think we would go back to her and i had this conversation i don't think we would go back to a radio station not only because of what you just said but because of the freedom to just the freedom to have our own schedule, the freedom to do it when we wanted to do it. Or walk in a room and have somebody go, uh, you know, uh, that thing about, you know, shit in your pants. I'm not sure that's what people <laughs> the, want to hear. No, or, it'll be the, the one that really would be like, okay, so we have, you know, the obese thing on the airlines. Yeah. That was very right. Putting people in a cage, really? <laughs> <laughs> Even though, but you know what? That The PD would have a point. So, Fred, listen. Okay. <laughs> I, I was with you until you wanted to put the fat people in the cage at the airport. I said a cage-like thing. Oh, did you? Yes. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> mainly wanted to say it was really nice running into some people, and it it's never ceases to uh, be a nice encounter. And people, it's nice to know we had an impact, but I, I really encourage those people like i really would like to i don't know how we would get them because we've been trying for 11 years to think how do we get we had a billboard we were on a uh, we were on satellite radio and yet there are still people like her her opening line to me was i guess you guys haven't i guess you haven't been doing anything in the last few years i'm like no Mm -hmm. i I did some this morning what are you gonna do it's just uh, one of the many frustrations that we have in our lives on a day-to-day basis i mean and we're not like dan durant we're not still out there in the movies and on tv and uh when are we by the way is tomorrow your shoot day on the show we're not allowed to talk about or are we allowed to talk about this shoot i can't remember uh, no, we can't talk about the name of the shoot right now, but okay. we, I can tell you that I may not even be here because, oh, you know, Christ. I, I don't know what time the, my call time is. for. Tomorrow. Can you can you explain to me again? Why, uh, again, why we can't mention it? I, what, what, what is what's the strategy there? Like, why well, can't we to, mention it? Because I have I don't know what the responsibilities are to ask them because I have to sign a nondisclosure. Agreement. NDA. No, buddy. I know. But why wouldn't they want why do they not want people to know? I don't get that. No, that's, that's not it. It's, it's that they need to control a message. So I need permission to say. 
something about it. That's basically it. Yeah. Oh, you, so. you can say what it is, but you can't comment on it? Like, Well, I can... Uh, yeah, I don't think I can say what the show is. Yeah, you're not allowed to say the what the show, show is. It's a non-disclosure thing, right? Are you playing but, an anchorman? Are you allowed to say that? Uh, probably. I, I oh, you don't. You're not even allowed to say that. Probably. I don't even know. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's, it's it's an anchorman type role. So, okay. I mean, it's not pivotal in the plot to, you know, the, what revealing no, what's happening. But it's one of those shows, you know, where all these big shows now that come through that they they yeah. don't. There's a there's a demand to know what's going on in the show because of the popularity sure. of it. It's a very popular show. But I do want you to understand on this in this world in a humble and friend land, you're free to tell everybody. I know you don't, yeah. but I want you to. <laughs> no, and I respect, you know, this is your livelihood, so you don't want to fuck with it. I, I totally get that. It's not Rat Hole, is it, with Kiefer Sullivan, that new one? Is that I don't even know what that is. Here's so. the fun. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just go into the Netflix and just ask every series, are you on Night Agent? Is it Night Agent? <laughs> well, Kiefer Sutherland has a new one here that they're filming in Toronto. I don't I think it's called Rat Hole, is it? Oh, okay. Something I don't know like what that. it's called. Is it, Dan? Do you know what? Oh, it's it called? might be Rabbit Hole. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, okay. And Dan, there's a lot of productions that, like, including this one, who the actual name is entirely different than the actual show is going to be because they don't want people knowing what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. I'll tell you what like, movie he's not in. Sounds like our radio show. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell <laughs> no, you. It's like so. <laughs> no, you know they don't have the. There's a you know a sandwich board on the side of the road that said you know for whatever show it uh-huh, is uh-huh. you know the you know, crew parking or whatever they make up a different name for the production. For that purpose. So that's the same thing with this show. It has nothing to do with the real name of the show. When um, we were in Mexico City, right out in front of our hotel the day we left, there was a movie being shot. And I'm just looking around and I'm just looking at, I'm just thinking of the logistics. It's just unbelievable. I could see the makeup trailer and I could see all these guys pulling wires and camera. The coordination to put a production like that together is just, it's impressive. I, you know, and you can see why it costs so much and on and on and on. Sure. It was uh, quite uh, overwhelming, actually. Can, can I tell you what show he's not in? What's that? Fat, pe- <laughs> fat people in a cage. <laughs> hey, by the way, I, I, I mentioned the Kiefer Sutherland. It, I, I believe it's Rabbit Hole. And I thought of you, Dan, when he was talking about it because they... He wanted to do the show in Toronto just because he likes Toronto, but sure. they wanted to do it in New York. But because it was so cost prohibitive for, prohibitive for New York, they moved to Toronto. And I thought that's encouraging for Toronto actors and workers now that, you know, that the dollar the way it is still makes it more attractive to produce here. So that's good for people like you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. No, Dan, absolutely. Yeah. Kiefer Love. Dan's been in a Kiefer mm-hmm. series already. You were in uh, Designated, Designated Survivor. Yeah. Uh, all right, Dan Duran's news. He is going to stick around today. We may, we may not have him tomorrow, Jesus willing. Uh, but uh, Dan's news coming up and an update on something we talked about yesterday. Uh, this whole show is uh, reflecting on the day before, but why not? In the meantime, let's talk about these fine folks. Uh, the uh, Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan, Canada's number one uh, group benefit plan for small business. Uh, go to chamberplan.ca. Again, you know, a lot of Humble and Fred listeners with small businesses have latched on to this and it's worked for them. Here's the key. You know, you're a little reluctant to buy into something like this. It's a great thing to do for your employees, but what's it going to cost me? And, you know, health care and everything, are costs going to go up? Well, 
The one thing you should know is over the past several years, they've done a great job on holding the line on premiums. They've just been able to do it because all these small companies get together. They have the image of a large company and they can purchase the insurance, you know, on a great price. And you're the benefactor. Benefactor. So are your employees. So go to chamberplan.ca today. Again, it's dental, it's uh, it's prescriptions, all the thing you would expect uh, from a um, medical coverage plan. So chamberplan.ca. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did. Uh, I did a claim. I guess last Monday, and it's so convenient because you can uh, all this. This was like, do you do this at your dentist where they they actually have your information and they just do it for you? No, my dentist won't do that. See, mine does. It's fantastic. So the chamber plan, you know, basically you can submit it on your phone if you have to make a claim, like for physio or massage or whatever. But uh, at my dentist, they charge me, and then I can see the benefit. I got the email like the next day or the day day after that the benefit had gone through. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do that. My dentist, I have to pay him with my visa, but like within two or three days, I have the check in the mail. Yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. You don't, you don't need to submit it. It's submitted for you. That's my question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes, okay. yes, 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 it's yes, fantastic. Yes. I get it, yes. Um, you know, later, tomorrow we'll be talking to the retirement Sherpa. Maybe you want to get your Sherpa to look at AaronVentures.com. I've made a mention of this several times. More on one is the actual name of the company and what it trades at. But they're an emerging international junior mining and exploration company. What they're doing is trying to get boron out of the ground and into so many things. It's in uh, everything. Lots of, whether it's your smartphone or big industry, Aaron Ventures strategies to uncover it and capitalize on unique development opportunities within Canada and various regions internationally. Check it out. Have your guy or gal check it out for you. AaronVentures.com. Kevin Donovan's our guest. We're going to follow up on uh, Fred's book review from last week. But it's been a while. We've been doing this from time to time. The uh, name of the book is... Billionaire Murders. The Billionaire Murders. The Billionaire Murders. I've got a... Because of uh, our conversation, you and I, last week, I was thinking about what we were talking about and trying to recall some questions I had for uh, Kevin. And I'm looking forward to that. It's always great catching up with uh, Canada's premier investigative reporter, Kevin Donovan. Before we get to that, just a couple quick things. I had mentioned to you before the program, uh, Jim Richards made me laugh. He, uh, I follow him on Twitter. Jim's a good guy over at uh, CFRB. Mm-hmm. And the Phantom of the Opera famous musical is ending its 34-year run on Broadway. $1.3 billion, which is, I guess, huge for a play over all that time. Yes. And it says, so to, Jim tweets a picture of the Phantom with the, you know, the costume and the half face, mm-hmm. whatever. He says, mask mandate ends after 34 years. I thought that was very clever. Jim's very clever. Yeah. Yes, and, he is. And then you asked me, I isn't it terrible? We should know when Jim's on. Well, he did the overnight thing, um, but I know that ended. 
And then I thought he was doing the evenings, but then someone told me they heard him doing the afternoon show now, which would be a good spot for him. Well, for the longest time, he was doing sort of middays there, and then they moved him. Yeah. Like, that's so weird that when we've talked about Jim, I mean, we, it's so weird. He's like one of the most entertaining guys. Like, hands down. You want to talk about a guy that's perfect for that format. Irreverent, smart, quirky. So perfect. And they're like, well, no, we have no room for him. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I don't know. You know, I there's they still. It seems need a certain measure of anger to that. Um, yeah, to that format v- versus and whimsy. I, yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, I think that's the deal there. Because often I listen to, I'll go up when I'm making my breakfast at ten, and I'll put on and Jerry Agar comes on for a while, and I soon as Delise comes down, it's got to go off because every, you know, the world's a pain in the ass yeah. without any humor. Well, that's <laughs> you know the thing. Mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and taking nothing mm-hmm. away from the skills of our friend, Jerry, who is, mm-hmm. you know, very right. good at that. What did you used to call it? Conflict radio or a, or was it a, something you called it for a while? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. Confrontational radio. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's time to get to, you know what? It's time. Here's the thing. Whenever we have this guy in the show, the, uh, just the intelligence, the whatever, the uh, whole vibe gets a bit smarter. He is, can- as I mentioned just a second ago, he's Canada's preeminent investigative reporter and has been for quite some time. The author of uh, several uh, very interesting books, as uh, Fred uh, did his book review last week, finally getting around to reading The Billionaire Murders. Welcome back to the program, Kevin Donovan. Hello, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me on this morning. It's always a pleasure to have you. It seems a bit weird, Kevin, but I, I heard something on the radio or on the news about, you know... Uh, Barry and Heidi Sherman, and then I just happened to look up on the bookshelf, and it's the book you gave me four years ago. Yes, yeah. I uh, <laughs> do you remember that I dropped it off at your studio, and it was stolen almost immediately mm-hmm. before yeah, my it got copy, in. My copy your, was stolen. Yeah, your copy, and then I produced another one, uh, and then by the end of it, I think I dropped off uh, three hundred and fifty books. Are you selling them? <laughs> That's right. You're right. <laughs> Freddie's a seller, reseller on eBay. Uh, a dollar. So, no. So, no, the point being, then I got it and I started leaving through and then I I, I read pretty much the whole book over a day and a half, found it fascinating. And I thought what was cool, even though it's four years old, there's been no resolution to this. So this book really still stands up because there's so much neat background and explanation of what, you know, what sort of happened around these murders that, yeah, it still stands up, does it? Does it not? Thank you. Yeah. Mm. But, but of course, a lot of things have I've learned a lot of things since then and uh, have done stories in the Toronto Star on it, obviously, and uh, and uh, and a podcast, which is mm-hmm. just coming out now. What's the uh, name of your podcast, sir? I'll, I'll be sure to mention that. What is it? It's called The Billionaire Murders. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is what Fred, because Fred started talking about it on the show, which is why I said to Booner, uh, to Toronto Mike uh, book, uh, Kevin, because we spent 20 minutes talking about it because it's still fascinating to us and fascinating, as Fred said, that, yes, there's been updates and such, but it still hasn't been solved. And one of the questions I wrote down from talking about it with Freddie was two questions, actually. Number one is, do you think the police have given up? Answer that, and then I'll ask you a little follow up. 
I don't think so. In fact, I, I know they haven't. They are currently seeking information related to the case in five uh, country, international countries. I would say that not overseas because one could be the U.S. Uh, I think one might be Israel as well. That's uh, my speculation, informed speculation. And uh, they're just plotting forth on it. And they have one detective assigned full time. Uh, I think they have a, a theory of, of what happened. They just can't prove it. So many, so many takeaways. The one that really hit me, it's in the book, you know, the theory that whoever murdered them flew into the city, went to the house, murdered them, and then flew out of the city. So that makes sense with the international investigation. The people that murdered them could have been here literally for hours, in and out, right? That's possible. But I also... Uh, struggle with the concept of the the international hitman uh, because I'm trying to imagine the people involved in this actually being able to to figure that out. Oh, okay. Str- strangulation is a, is a personal crime. I, I don't see a hitman uh, coming into or hit hit person. Mm, that's right. Into, you know, uh, come on, Kevin, uh, <laughs> coming into. The, the city and then strangling and posing people, but yet not leaving any obvious message to say, this is why we're doing this. Uh, to me, the person, I, I believe that the, the person or persons who wanted this done were at least present, if not actually doing the strangling. So that my, my follow-up is going to be, so the police haven't given up. Some one de- lone detective, this is their job every day. Mm. What about you? Do you like, cause Fred mentioned the word theories. That was one of the theories from the book or one of the theories floating around, and I'm sure you've told us this before, but now that it's now that we've talked about it, what is your theory? Well, I, I'm not going to say who I think did it, uh, but I do have a theory, uh, and I think it's uh, people who knew Barry uh, quite well, Barry and Honey, uh, and I think that people that wanted both Barry and Honey dead, uh, Honey was not just a, uh, you know, a, um, collateral mm-hmm. damage. I, the I hitman Barry Sherman would say to people, "If they are going to get me, they're going to get me. They'll shoot me coming out of Apotex at ten o'clock." And I think somebody knew their schedule, and I think somebody also. I don't want to give away too much in the upcoming episode of the podcast, but somebody uh, decided that this was the time to do it because there would be so many suspects. Uh, Barry was having some financial troubles. Uh, he had problems with his cousins. He just uh, They just lost a lawsuit against Barry. Uh, and many other things were happening that would make it difficult for the police to solve this case. So I think somebody... Uh, really gave some thought to to doing this uh, when they did it. So why? And again, I don't want to push you, but why? Why not? Of course, excuse you do. me. Of course you do. Why don't you want to say? Because he's got a podcast. No, 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 no. <laughs> because I can't say. Uh, for example. Uh, there's a lot of people pointing fingers uh, at each other. And you may recall that I interviewed, uh, and this is after the book came out, I interviewed the son, Jonathan. And uh, I had heard that people uh, were speculating that he was somehow involved, but I would never write that because I, that's libelous. But when I interviewed him, he came out with this. He said, my sister thinks I did it. And he said it in an on the record interview. So that's how I was able to, to publish that. So I can't, while people on, uh, you know, Reddit and the, the trolls out there can say, I think person X is the murderer. Okay. I can't say that because, right. you know, I, I want to, um, 
continue working at the Toronto Star. No, I know. And being, I, and being on shows like this. Right. You know, it's um, it's almost a bit. It's so humble and Fred. Here we are doing a book review four years after it was written. But, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's great. No, I, no, I laid out the reason. And, and, and again, it still stands up. And I and I said this to Howard. Not only is it interesting, it's so well written. It's such an, an a neat read. The way you've done this, it is. And you bring up Jonathan and it's interesting, you know, with the, you know, the resorts up on um, on Shandos Lake and the money he needed. And then, you know, your breakfast with that was was that the cousin where you had? Breakfast? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, lunch, lunch, actually, lunch? a number of times. And I speak to him still to this day. He's so a wild guy. So anybody wanting to scratch the surface it would go would have to be them. Barry's tried to screw them out of all this money. Yeah. Why wouldn't they want to kill the guy? But he's so open and blatant and offers so much. It's almost like, yeah, I guess he he didn't do it because he's just so open to it all. Um. Anyway, it's. It, 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 it's a it's a it's a very 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 interesting story. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. hang on, Kevin's like this. This would have been a great interview around the time yeah. it came out. But hey, <laughs> you, we're gonna, you did. We're, no, you I did. know we did. No, we did. did. Me but we did. did. We did. We just didn't read the book. But now we're going to sell some more no, books for you, Kevin. And the fact, and again, we, we you know the whole hook is, here is it still stands up because it hasn't been solved. So you could read this book today, and we're you got all the background, and we're still <laughs> wait, wait without, till I read without, it without. Uh, without uh, somebody being charged. Freddie, wait till I read it in four years from now. We'll have him back on for the... Uh, uh, but please comment on that, and then I have another question about something you've said already here. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply that uh, your show is awesome. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes, it I is. I am so sorry that I didn't record the clip for, I think, Howard, for your... Or was it for both of your anniversaries? Yes. Uh, and I'm sorry I was yeah, asked well, to, and uh, I had to take the garbage out. Yeah. I was uh, sure, whatever, you know, making the lunch for the adult kids. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I'm sorry. So so use that clip. I love your show. So uh, one of the things that Fred revealed because he read the book and I didn't uh, is that uh, Barry was very generous with a lot of people. Uh, we're gonna just hold that for a second. By the way, that thing you said about strangulation. Now that I remember my question, you said that strangulation is a very personal thing. So if it is not, say, the work of a hit person, of a hit man, why then the international multi-country mm-hmm. uh, intrigue? Why, why, why go down that path? Yeah, a good question. Well, uh, the, the, the theory that I have is that, that you know, while the people who, who wanted it done were were present and, and pulling the strings there were other people that uh one or two other people that that were involved and those people were given some sort of a benefit uh in another country uh, i i'm trying to to prove that myself so i'm not going to name the country but i i think so the international intrigue in this is the police are really they're following a series of, uh, of of leads, and I'm sure they're gonna. If they find anything, it'll just be in one country, one of five. Uh, but 
I, so I, I don't think it's uh, I don't know if anybody watches any of the you know the Jason Bourne I don't think it's like the Jason Bourne thing or a or a James mm-hmm. Bond type thing like that I think it's somebody that's local who got something and the gift the gift for being involved in this it was, mm, okay. was given overseas do, do you do you ever feel like if you're nosing around you that's a threat to you or somebody could come back on you it's you know that well, it'd, be, it'd, be a, it'd be a heck of a story mm. yeah. no i know but still at the same time when we're talking you know millions and millions of dollars and <laughs> reputations on the line and people being convicted or found out that's and and, and, and you contribute to that doesn't that concern you on some level and no, by the way, it won't, it won't be us. It won't be us for you not having recorded a, 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 a thing for our anniversary. That's not enough for us. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, Fred. I, I I don't worry about. It. I've never worried about that. Uh, as Barry would say, if, it, if they're going to get you, they're going to get you. Okay. So where I was going with the money? Because Fred revealed to me that 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 Barry was very frugal. They drove old cars, and yet he gave away millions including, according to you, quite a big sum of money to Frank. To, is he running for mayor? Mayoral candidate Frank D'Angelo. Uh, yes, he well, he Frank approached uh, Barry Sherman in uh, my goodness, about 15 years uh, before the murders. And he, he, he said, look, at, you know, I want to buy this uh, this plant up uh, near Tiverton and. Um, and Barry had owned this plant. It was a plant that was being built to create something that would stop cow flatulence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. <laughs> you know, the greenhouse gas effect, which is a very real situation. And uh, Barry ends up getting in partnership with, uh, with Frank making beer, still steel back beer, uh, uh, Arizona iced tea uh, movies. And, uh, and, and Frank, uh, who I talked to quite often as well, uh, it was by all accounts, uh, including people very close to, to Barry. Barry really liked him and he supported him. Now, towards the, the end of the uh, of that uh, run in 2017, uh, Barry was trying to he's trying to get 60 million dollars back from his son. And he was telling Frank, you know, you got to negotiate better suppliers deals because uh, I can't keep funding your enterprise. Um, Barry was doing that with a lot of people just before he died. He was really he, he'd lost a. Uh, more than a half a billion dollar judgment in court in one of his uh, pharmaceutical cases, and he was he was strapped. It wasn't liquid at all, uh, so that's all plays wow. into why I think that time period was chosen. So yeah, so he uh, Frank um, Frank has been instrumental in getting me to talk to the people closest to to Barry. Now the the kids, particularly son Jonathan, hated Frank just despised him and there's a lot of tension frank lost as far as i can tell just about everything uh, when barry his benefactor died uh, so there's hmm. no motive there speaking of funding movies i'm sorry I, I have a movie question do you have something about that you wanted to jump in there fredman well only that you know he wasn't another interesting part is that he gave Two of his kids he gave lots of money to, and other two he held back. And yes. then he was free giving Frank all this money when not his own siblings. And you can understand the siblings being upset and hating Frank because they're they're going, Dad, you gave him money for that movie? Like, really? Like, honestly, the movies weren't very good. And I guess he bankrolled maybe the TV show as well. And at one point, didn't he take the business away from Frank and then gave it back to him? You really did read the book. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love it. 
Uh, yeah, he did. He took it away, uh, and Frank was very upset. Uh, and then he, and what was left of it, he gave back to uh, to Frank. Uh, Barry was so uh, enamored with with Frank that at one point he wrote an email to Jonathan, who was asking him, uh, you know, why are you giving all this money? And by the way, Dad, uh, can I have two hundred and fifty million to do a series of projects? Barry responds uh, quite chippily and then said, oh, and you might be interested in a trailer from Frank's new movie. Jesus. The trailer. trailer in. <laughs> uh, so that's a mic drop, uh, I would yeah, say. I'd say. And, uh, I'd say. Uh, and, you know, the, the whole the family dynamics, uh, the so emails that I well, actually hundreds of emails I have among the, the family. Uh, this was not a happy home at all, uh, particularly Jonathan and the eldest sister, Lauren, uh, and their father. They say they all say some quite horrible things to each other to the point that a therapist was hired to help each one of them frame a response to an email. They're mm-hmm. all communicating by email. And, of course, Barry doesn't take that. He just shoots from the hip all the time. So when you're wait, re- wait, wait a minute, just one more question, Howard. So to tie this up, of course, given the fact that Frank was given all this money, some estimates over $200 million in total, right? Um, and then it's withdrawn, and then Frank's questioning um, you know, continuing to finance him, well, then he would become a suspect. And I know he's come out and said, I didn't have anything to do with it. But somewhere along the line, people had to look at Frank D'Angelo and think, could he have been involved? Well, I mean, the police looked at uh, Carrie Winter, the cousin. They looked at Frank. And as far as I know, have cleared them them both, uh, you know, both provided their phones and, and their whereabouts. Um Jonathan, the son, has told me he believes, uh, in fact, he said, he, I hope the police have looked at, at all members of the family because mm-hmm. he's smart enough to know that that's that that can be a situation in in, uh, in families that, that are wealthy. And so, I, I mean, I think that the police at, at, at one point have had all three of those people as persons of interest, which is not a suspect. They're just people that they're interested in looking into. Uh, to me, um, Frank... Everything he did uh, to help me get close to the people around Barry, that's not something that his guilty would do. It, it just doesn't make any right. sense to me. I mean, he, he he got me in the door with Jack Kay, who's Barry's closest uh, um, associate at Apotex for almost 40 years. And so I, I, I don't I don't <laughs> see that as being uh, a case. I, I will say that the the police have said that the estate of Barry and Honey Sherman, who got what, uh, is part of their case. Uh, and mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Frank, Frank's, we've, we've had some dealings with Frank, and he's a nice enough man. He's only guilty of making just horrible movies. But, um, but how do you, just a couple things that occurred to me while you were talking about reading all these emails and, you know, getting close to, and I'm sure we've had some parts of this conversation, but how do you get access to all this information and then i did want to ask you the movie question again which i've asked you before but wondering so first of all where do you get how do you get that well so the my sources and the sources are a growing list of people over five years uh People like to pass things around. Uh, now, now, first of all, Barry was one of these individuals who copies several people when he sends an email, even to his own family. So, you know, there's the copies of emails flying around. The, the, the oddest batch of emails that I 
received was from Jonathan, the son. And it's a series of emails that were written between he and his father just before the murders in which his father is, uh, is demanding 50 to $60 million back from Jonathan and his business partner just before the murders. And I had heard about this from a source and, and uh, Jonathan sent it all to me, but then agreed to meet me and gave me what he said was the context that it is not unusual for billionaires and their sons to deal like this. To, you know, you're up, you give me 50 million, I'll give you back 50 million. Um, Jonathan never pays the money back and, you know, the murders take place. I put it to Jonathan, you know, in this, in a five and a half hour interview in his freezing cold garage, uh, which you'll hear about in a later episode of the podcast. I put it to him that this, kind of makes you look guilty and he says i i didn't do it I'm, and i he says i'm the only one who knows that i didn't do it which was hmm. he also also because he'd been away in japan after the between the emails going out and the murder he said uh he'd been away for three weeks he said i don't know anybody who could plan a murder in three weeks he says these things that are really odd mm-hmm. um so uh, but the emails yeah hard great question they come from all sources uh there's a lot of them. I believe I have more emails than the police have. I was just going to ask you that. Do the police, do you have a duty? Is there some kind of responsibility to turn over what you have if, if you're asked? And have you been asked for it? No, no, not at all. I haven't asked. But but in this court process, I am involved in with the, the police where every six months I go to court and I cross-examine them. I end up putting a lot of this stuff to them. So they, they and I write stories about it. So, uh, and I, I assume that if there's something that they see that they're interested in, that they go to the actual source okay. uh, to, to get it, you know, because they can see, they, they could figure out who was writing to to whom what about this aspect out of the gate the police and it would have been very convenient murder suicide right murder suicide just wrap it up walk away and because they were sort of stuck on that from the beginning there was a time frame where evidence and interviews and a lot of stuff was compromised how much has that played into the fact that we're sitting here today and there still isn't someone uh, for, being charged. That, yeah, I think there's a direct line between that. I mean, mm-hmm. the the I've detailed over the years uh, the the litany of mistakes. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. the homis- the lead homicide detective doesn't go to the crime scene on day one and doesn't go for four days mm-hmm. long, af- long after the bodies have been removed. That's that's not what you see on Law and Order. And the reason you don't see it there is because that's what all homicide cops do. That's why they do it. It's like you two having a podcast. Uh, or a radio show, and then, you know, uh, one of you not showing up. That's just ridiculous. It just doesn't happen. Uh, oh, unless there's a golf tournament. Yeah, I can cut to the golf tournament. Hey, 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 come on. I'm not on, I'm not on trial here, you fucker. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and so all the questions, now that I've seen the interviews that took place in the first six weeks, the police are asking, why did your father or why did Barry Sherman kill honey you know was he sick uh those were the questions that were being asked they Mm -hmm. were not asking the question who would do this Mm -hmm. so they lost a lot of time you know the walking man video which they had quite early that's the Mm -hmm. fellow gentleman they believe is one of the killers they don't release that for four years and memories dim over time release that a month later put it on the news Mm -hmm. 
Somebody might say, oh, I know that person. Well, and, and we've had uh, that, that walking man video. We've had this conversation. And we've also had this following. I, I've asked you before, and, and because it seems like a natural, and I thought of this again after Fred did his book report last week, um, <laughs> the fact that uh, has it been optioned for a movie? Uh, well, actually, uh, it's coming out. Uh, we've done a documentary series that's going to be on Crave, uh, which we're just finishing up right now. It's a four part. Uh, and so so that it was optioned for a series of projects. And okay. that's the fir- that's the first one uh, there. It's possible that there would be a movie or a, a succession like uh, dramatic series. But but the first thing is a documentary. Because I think, you know, it's it's got such intrigue to it as a case. But do you do you want you or your like Kevin Donovan is are you part of the movie like the the intrepid reporter uncovering what may or may not have happened and I'm I'm being partly facetious but also yeah well, no no I mean I, I'm I'm part of the documentary yes I'm the narr- I'm the narrator I'm telling the story and uh, with a you know, great uh, team that uh, taught me how to do that actually and yeah I, I could see. My books, I I always seem to put myself in my books because that's how I I see the story Mm -hmm. unfold. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, if one of you would be interested in playing me, that'd be fantastic. Well, Dan Dan Duran, obviously, it's Dan Um, Duran. He's an actor. Wouldn't wouldn't a movie really need a charge and a conviction, though, to to wrap it up? I, I think so. I think that's down down the road. And, you know, we're five years and, and several months now. Mm. Uh, I never thought uh, we'd get there, but I continue on. And uh, I, I mean, just yesterday I received some new information about somebody. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to digging into that uh, later today. One, one other thing, too, you talk about the rush to rip that house down, too, I found a bit odd. Because, again, there was, you know, there was evidence lost and, you know, they took their time to look at this and look at that. And it just seemed, boy, there was a, a mad rush to have that house ripped down, too. It seemed odd to me. Well, I mean, it, it was well over a year before they sought approval. Uh, the way I look at that, and and many people have said to me that, that this, this seems suspicious, had they just sold it and not kept mm-hmm. it as a Sherman family house, because it was, uh, you know, built in the early 1980s, somebody would have probably gutted it and done a fair bit of work to it and, mm-hmm. and all of that, whatever was left behind. And there was a lot of family mementos and documents and all sorts mm-hmm. of things still in there. They would have gone into a dumpster anyways. So it does seem odd that the Sherman family said we just didn't feel comfortable having the house there. Mm-hmm. I think there were partly worried about souvenir hunters uh which right. might be a real concern um but and, yeah and i was gonna say freddie look at it this way if the family had nothing to do with it their parents were murdered in that house right yeah and who would want to buy a house where people were well, murdered partly that, that would, but also yeah. your your family you know it's it's, it's got to be pretty painful for the people who didn't do it and and our final well, my final question and I may have asked you this before, but hey, it's, it's all brand new to us because we've lost most of our memory. <laughs> so do you think do you think it will ever be solved, comma, and if yes, when? Oh, well, uh, I can only answer yes. Uh, I'm always a believer in things finally happening. I do believe it will be solved. Uh, I'm not retiring anytime soon. So I hope I hope that I'm the one that, that solves it, actually. And then the. 
the police can follow suit with the press conference. Uh, but as far as when the, the actual the timeline, as I understand it, uh, and I'll be back in court uh, later this year uh, with the detective, is that they are still waiting. It takes a long time to get information internationally. It has to go through Canada's Justice Department to country uh, A, B, C, D, and E Justice mm-hmm. Department, and then they, they go to the local police, and then it comes back. So that that's not going to be until later this year. So let's say, uh, I mean, I, I could see if they're, if they're going to get any real fruit of this uh, latest request, these search warrants overseas, it'll be later this year. Okay. And, and my question on the heels of that would be, when you say, you know, you would like to solve it, how would that work? You would say, hey, guys, this is it. And you would go to the police and say, here it is. Here's no, the I, answer. I'd go, to, I'd go to my editor and say, can we put it on the front page? I mean, I, I, would, I wouldn't say so-and-so. I couldn't say so-and-so did it, but I would... Um, I would connect the dots more right. for the reader than I already have. I, I that's, but I know it's. I don't think it's ever been done before. So okay, so that article would like intimate intimate who? Yes. Okay, I get it. See, because the the cops oh. got to be a part of me. Yeah, or it might be that I know that the police have a theory of, of a specific individual, right. and I need to get confirmation that I'm right about that. Okay, and I would I would write that that this is the, this is who they're they're pursuing, and here are the reasons why it's taking so long. Uh, and I'm done. The police don't go out for beers anymore yeah. with reporters like me. So, uh, right. But in the movie, if this were really a movie, then Kevin would be played by probably Matt Damon, a younger Matt Damon. And then, and then what you would do is you would, le- you would take a leave of absence from the star mm-hmm. and you would go internationally using some of your Canadian forces training that we found out about. And then you would actually take it all down. That's the movie we're, that's the movie we're waiting for, Kev. Very much. <laughs> the uh, Billionaire Murders is not only a uh, fine book that uh, is available still in bookstores, or you can borrow Fred's copy. Mine was mm-hmm. stolen, but it's also a podcast. And uh, the episodes are available on, right now? Wherever, yeah, uh, uh, episode <coughs> one to four is out wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hey, and when you get to your 10th anniversary and you want us to say, hey, congratulations, Kevin. Yeah, we'll be busy yes. that day, okay? Just okay, saying. I understood. <laughs> on the golf course. Thanks yes. very much for having me on, gentlemen. Hey, listen, it's always a pleasure, and we'll be up. To, please, we look forward to having you on again uh, at some point this year, for sure. I'm available. Here's Kevin Donovan, Canada's preeminent investigative reporter friend. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Thanks Kevin. Guys. There you go. Hey, well, there you have it, my friend. Good work. Good. Uh, hey, way to, way to bring it up four years later. It's fantastic. <laughs> you know, some of the quirky, and, and again, I don't know if I made that point enough. It's one thing to have the information and the way it's written. It's just a great read. He's a good writer. There's no doubt about well, that. Well, yeah. Um, That's no surprise. But, He's been at it for a while. And even some of the, like, the quirky things in here, the fact that the belts, did I tell you this? The belts that were put around sort of their necks to hold them up against the railing by the pool. They were almost staged, right? Mm-hmm. The way they were sitting. Honey had be- had bought those belts for Barry at Canadian Tire. <laughs> Funny. No, it's weird, too, because yeah. the thing is, I have bought belts at Canadian Tire. On the checkout, you see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know what you Eight ninety nine. Yeah, I'll grab a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just seems weird. And another time they were somewhere and she left a scarf somewhere and, and 
Her friends had to wait for her while she went back, drove back somewhere to find the scarf. And they're thinking it must be some expensive scarf, and it turned out to be something she had bought at, um, at, at, at um, you know, the Gap or something. Yeah. <laughs> here's here's what I love about our audience. I just uh, checked the Facebook feed periodically during the show, and someone wrote, "I would have read the book, but I'm going to Toronto. I need to put underwear on." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, okay, let me just... Uh, mm. My screen just screwed up. I'll tell you what, while we're waiting for Dan Duran to uh, do the news here, why don't I get you, uh, if you can, while we're still playing some music, to uh, talk about these fine people. Well, we're going to talk about Bodog, and it happens tonight. 7.30, puck drop, the Leafs and Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, game one of their uh, divisional quarterfinal, whatever you call this thing. The Leafs... To win the series are minus one seventy five. They are favored. That's a that's a notable, sizable favorite. Minus one seventy five for tonight's game. Game one, Leafs favored minus one sixty. The over under is six. So there you have it. I mean, these are the people that set the odds. There, these are the pros, and they're calling the Leafs. But and what are you calling? I can't see Leafs winning the series in the end. I just, I don't think they've got what it takes, to be honest. But that's... But don't you hope you're wrong? Again. Do you hope you're oh, wrong? Of course I hope I'm wrong. Okay. Let me look at it this way. Let me put it this way. As I said to Darren the other day in the car, they should win it. They can win it. I'm not sure they will. It could go... To me, I wouldn't be surprised either way. Nice. Did you go to the baseball game with Darren? Yes. Did he bring his own chicken? Bubble chicken, no, <laughs> no. He had a foot long, so Did his stomach's really? good. His oh, stomach's yeah. good. He had a foot long. It's funny. I sent him a picture uh-huh. yesterday. I, last night I sent Darren a picture of the because uh, I had bubble chicken with the kids, mm-hmm. and I said, uh, "Yeah, well, Sobeys one. They're not very good. It was pretty good actually." Uh, <laughs> this is just such a funny joke to me. He goes, that's nice. How many non-alcoholic Takatis did you get? <laughs> uh, I'd forgotten that at the uh, city market in San Miguel there. That uh, if you bought a bubble chicken, <laughs> and we bought many, we bought many bubble chickens, that every time we bought a bubble chicken, they gave us three non-alcoholic Takatis. <laughs> it's just the weirdest. For free? Yes, it was part of a promotion. Oh, wow. No, I know. I don't know. Uh, before we get to Dan Duran's news, let's get to this important message. This program brought to you by Good Daddy. Go, Dad. Well, you know, I really didn't finish my bow dog thing. Oh, I didn't give dang them it, their, man. Uh, Please. Their shout out. Whether you're a sports better or a horse Sorry. racing fan. A poker casino player, Bodog, your number one source of online gambling entertainment. From their industry-leading odds, world-class sportsbook, and feature-rich poker room to their fully loaded casino and race book. Yes, they've been providing Canadian players with an unparalleled <laughs> gaming experience since 1994. All the numbers I gave you were from Bodog. And uh, thank you for that, Frederick. Or as you've become known on the show, I just remembered I wrote, I looked down at my page here from yesterday. I'm like, why didn't I write down Red Frank? Oh, that's right, because for some reason I called you Red. Uh, And the other day you called yourself Frank. Mm -hmm. This program brought to you by GoDaddy, powering small business and entrepreneurs for over a quarter century, servicing over 20 million, 20 milliones customers worldwide. GoDaddy is where people come to get a domain, create a website, and everything else you need to get your business online. If you have a great idea for a small business, you want a side hustle, you got something you want to do, there's no better time than now to get it online because you can find your domain, create your website with GoDaddy. 
and bring it all to life with their free and friendly 24-7 phone support. That means you call GoDaddy. Yes? Do you have a question? Okay. (laughs) You call GoDaddy. I just wondered if you wanted to know about their free and friendly support or you would phone them (laughs) and they Mm -hmm. would answer because there's a person to talk to. You can even start your website for free. No credit card is required with GoDaddy. GoDaddy GoDaddy.ca is where you learn more. Although I I will say this, the other day at the baseball game, Darren got a foot long and he ate all but about an eighth of it. And then as a joke, he looked at the rest of us and said, does anybody want to finish this? And everybody sort of (laughs) chuckled, but I did. I said, yeah, I'll take it. And Buddy Doug thought that was odd that I would finish the last eighth of his um, foot long, but it was Darren. Yeah, why not? And my only concern was with all the ailments that he have. He has. I might catch one off. That's the, right. You don't, you don't want to get one of his parasites. <laughs> but I hate it. Fuck I wanted to try it. Why not? I don't man? think there's anything wrong with that. Do you? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the part of that story that I immediately thought was, who, who's not finishing all the foot long? <laughs> How do you not finish the whole thing? <laughs> No, I I've eaten with him. Way. He's not that dainty. He eats a nice meal. Well, I know. I know. Oh, but yeah, I think he just wanted to offer it as a bit of a joke or something, but I took him up on it. Mm. There's no joke when it comes to football. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joking around here. It's funny. I've been. Uh, it's not funny. It's not funny or really that interesting, but mm-hmm. I want interesting, to. Interesting. Funny, <laughs> funny, funny and interesting. I had my uh, first uh, Spanish tutor lesson yesterday i've been i signed up because i've been i've been taking spanish every day online on duolingo which a lot of people use and it's and it's really fun and i've learned a lot of words and being in mexico is great but what i really need now is to to have conversations because i have a i've grown my vocabulary i just don't know how to use it so i have this i've engaged this company and so it's a mexican woman she's a master of linguistics and though she lives in portugal so I had my last lesson with her yesterday, and we were talking back and forth, and I was trying to tell her that, you know, I'm very excited about Spanish because I, I can get a bit obsessive with things, <laughs> as you may know. So she taught me how to say I'm obsessive in Spanish. How do you say that? Yeah, soy uh, muy obsesivo. Hmm, nice. And I'm like, well, that's me. Muy yeah. obsesivo. No, I was going to say that, too. That's what I... Because I know... There's something built inside this. You really, you know, you. I, I got the feeling you fell for that Spanish woman there that you met in Mexico, and you still are talking to her. I am, Senora Espinosa. And, and there's a move afoot, maybe for her to visit Toronto or you to si, go back senor, there next si. year. So yeah. I think that's part of sure. the equation. Yep. You want to be able to communicate with this woman. And most people would want to, but wouldn't go to the lengths that you are currently. See, this is all true. To wrap this up. This, uh, you know. I mean, you're partly right. Yeah, for sure. I would love to. She and I are talking uh, a couple nights. We're doing a big Zoom uh, get together. We're going to have a little Zoom date, her and I. And and yeah, it would be nicer for me to be able to express myself somehow. But also, part of it is, back to your original story to start the show about habits. Mm Mm-hmm. So I am now on an 85-day or so streak on Duolingo. And I haven't given that up because it's pretty cheap. It's like 20 bucks a month. But I do it every day. Some days for 15 minutes, some days for an Mm -hmm. hour. But I do it every day. And so what frustrates a lot of people sometimes me too is you don't i don't see progress every day but over the course of a few months i can tell Mm -hmm. that i've 
increased because this woman and I were speaking yesterday because she's a teacher. And yes, a lot of what she taught me yesterday was in English, but we had many little conversations and she would say things. And I'm like, oh, I know what that word means. But part of it is because of being obsessivo, I can't give it up. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to give it up. I mean, I don't know what that is, but when I sort of put my mind to it, I just keep doing it. Some and some. Yeah. It's not every day I want to do it, but I just do it as a routine now. What you have to learn, considering that this woman may come and visit you this summer, you have to learn how to say, baby, come on, let's be doing it. Okay? So, <laughs> could you say that now? Baby, come on, let's Yo be quiero, doing it. Yo uh, quiero una sacalera bandera. <laughs> Something is like that it? No, that's just that means. Oh. Uh, I knew you'd like the word sucka, suck a low. <laughs> I, I knew you'd like that word. Which I told you in, in in golf to say to take the flag out. You say sucalar bandero. Right. But I knew you'd like the sucalar part because you're immature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, baby, come on in Spanish. Uh, anyways, Dan Duran is here. Esteban, un grande jefe. Dan Duran. Now, here's to a fella named Dan Duran, a hell of a guy with a hella big wang, the quintessential mm-hmm. anchor man. His voice is nice and low. Oh. Dan Duran, the anchor man comes. As for credentials, he has none. Can't tell a headline from his bum, but his voice is nice and low. Dan Duran, the anchor man's here. He's prone to falling off his chair, but he's got a big wang, so he don't care, and his voice is nice and low. My voice is nice and low. And now live from the kitchen. Is there any coffee left in the uh, machine? Uh, no, not at all. I just uh, drained it. That's fine. Next, more next to the empty coffee maker. Yeah. With news and views and some follow-up from yesterday's show. Here's Dan Duran. Okay, so an update on the Dalai Lama talk that we had yesterday during the show, as my girlfriend Lisa pointed out. Uh, And you can check out this article on Vice, which also references a YouTube video of a well-spoken Tibetan that explains the whole sticking the tongue out, licking my tongue. Sucking my my tongue tongue thing. It has really not anything to do with... uh, uh, It's not a sexual thing. There's more of a uh, cultural... uh, Attachment to to that is apparently kind of a grandfather joke, a series of things that you do, and then oh yeah, my grandfather used to say that. Oh man, yeah, same with mine. uh, My my Zeta would say, "Howard, do you want to suck a tongue?" Of course, I did. We all the children did. All the children did. (laughs) So the correct phrase in Tibetan for this joke is, uh, I I don't know Tibetan. Do it, Jelisa. Jelisa, which roughly translates to "eat my tongue." Mm, that's much better. Oh, that makes it better. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of like when you and da- it's like you and Darren at the baseball game. Hey, you want to take a bit an eighth of my tongue? So the meaning and the common expression used to tease and teach children is completely lost in this in- interpretation. In this oh, video it was cut. Yes. Oh, really? Okay. No, no. I mean, I I believe what you're saying, but it, it, the great lengths to fucking justify this is just it. it, it I, I find it amusing, but that's oh, all. Really? Well, mm-hmm. no, it's just from your perspective, though, right? But that's right. I mean, well, that, that, that's the only one I have. Is my, yeah, your cultural perspective is what I'm yes, saying. I guess. I guess. Your North American, you know, or or mm-hmm. uh, English. Jokey jokes aside, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's lots of things in other people's cultures that sure. So yes, and one of the things mm-hmm. they do is they stay as to, is a sign of respect. Is mm. they stick out their tongues as a show of respect when people you know that they respect mm. walking right. by and, and, and the guy actually showed videos of people doing mm. that. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, okay, but then it kids do. Would you like to? Okay, yeah. I get it. All right. Hey, hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. We could be wrong. 
It's just being being um, being right. Absolutely. Being being uh, the other way is more funny. <laughs> we, be, be, no, I was going to say being ignorant is way funnier. Hey, you, what you're saying explains it perfectly. But we're mm. going to ignore that so we can make suck my tongue jokes. Oh no, but the, the sticking of the tongue, I get that. But then, too, would you like to suck it? Is the was the issue? But he just all. explained it. There's a reason for it. We just don't care mm-hmm. about the reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's let's admit that we don't. Well, I'm I lost that. What is the reason for? Would you like to suck my tongue? What is that reason? Explain it. I'm, I'm, well, it, uh, it comes. I, I from, missed it. First of all, the Dalai Lama is English is not his first language, and right. this, I don't remember if this was. Uh, I, and there was different languages because I think this uh, this boy whose mother was sitting right next to him, mm-hmm. right, uh, was uh, from India. So their language, there was a language barrier, kind mm-hmm. of you know, almost three times around, kind of explained. But the the uh, the uh, so it may have been what suck your my tongue or whatever. But eat my tongue is the right roughly translated <laughs> from the Tibetan language, oh. and in mm-hmm. that language, it's like uh, you know, I, you know, t- t- something about uh, kiss my forehead or mm-hmm. my cheek, and then my, right. uh, you know, touch okay. forehead. It was all innocent. Then, then eat my tongue, innocent, yeah. and it came out sucks. So, mm-hmm. All right. And and, and it's, uh, it became an international thing, yeah, right? Yeah. So, and by the way, um, would you like to suck my tongue? In Spanish, is te gustaría chupar mi lengua, mi lengua, from Mister Obsessivo over here. See, yeah. mm. te gustaría. So, just because a one word got mixed up, yes. it became an international well, story. No, no God doing it because it was it's misinterpreted, right? But with, if, with if you don't know the culture and what you know a standard mm-hmm. grandfather kind of routine jokey right. kind of experience that happens in Tibet is mm-hmm. not well uh, well uh, and maybe that's what it doesn't translate, translate well yeah. I get it and maybe that's it. what it is in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church it's all that maybe in Latin you know suck my dick means something else you know yeah <laughs> So once again, Humble and Fred have proved that ignorance is funnier than the truth. All right. True. True man. True man. True. And now with his second story following up Dan Duran. I can't wait for Fred to uh, chew on this one a little chew bit. It, Fred. He paused its uh, use of Twitter yesterday. After the social media platform owned by Elon Musk stamped CBC's account with the label uh, government-funded media, Mm. which CBC took offense to. And uh, also, the same had been done for National Public Radio in the United States. And they quit Twitter last Wednesday because of the same thing. And I think there was another thing that happened with the BBC in England. And and, NPR uh, and PBS as well pulled pulled themselves from the platform. Right, because of all this stuff. So anyway, uh, what the CBC said, Twitter can be a powerful tool for our journalists to communicate with Canadians, but it undermines the accuracy of professionalism of the work they do to allow our independence to be falsely described in this way, according to the spokesman for the CBC. And... Um, the CBC has sent a letter to Twitter asking the company to re-examine the designation. And by the way, Pierre Polyev had urged Twitter in a letter to them. Uh, I heard maybe three letters, but uh, I've actually read the one that he basically says that he thinks that it's a government, you know, that the liberal government, it's funded by government, yes, and and feels that it's not uh, impartial. Okay. What Twitter wrote isn't wrong. It isn't. Because that's what it is. But the thing is, that's not my problem. What did Elon Musk, what does he put on the Fox, the Fox News 
that you can't believe this? See, he would never do that, would he? So it's more important him to identify government-funded information sources than it is to take something like Fox News and say, you know, this is bullshit. You cannot believe this. But he would never do yeah, that, of course would not. he? Um, you know, and again, I, I have no, I don't want to get into discussion of whether there should or shouldn't be a CBC and should or shouldn't mm-hmm. it be government funded because it is funded by the government. It serves right. a purpose. It has for years. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't know, it's 1.4 billion is given by the Canadian government. 500 million is sponsor, uh, whatever. But here's and its a, independence is protected by law and the Broadcasting Act. But I just, I, I just wanted to read you something from a guy that we used to. It's sort of in our universe. Uh, Michael Corrin, who was a big conservative uh, talk show guy, mm-hmm. then had some kind of epiphany and became a, uh, a re- became a reverend. Mm-hmm. I think an Anglican minister. But here's what he says. He says, I'm seldom on CBC's news nowadays, so I've got nothing to gain or lose. But I was a weekly panelist for 18 months. Now, remember, this guy was conservative. There was an obsession with balance. To the point of being conservative heavy. I find CBC panels a little dull and party led, but the idea of liberal bias is absurd. I'm just putting it out there from a guy who was on the other side of the equation. And this is what he found from being in that organization. Mm -hmm. Chew on that. I also think that, that, uh, I mean, it's the subtext of the statement that, that, uh, that it is a propaganda arm of the government is what the implication is. Yeah. The uh, the weird thing is is that, that then uh, why aren't you putting the uh, that designation on say uh, SpaceX? But or, that's what he, that's what Fred said. Why don't they put that designation said, on Fox? Right. Yeah. But yeah, the, I mean, it, it was done arbitrarily, and I no, believe me, I disagree with that. But then again, Elon Musk he owns Twitter, and if that's what he wants to do, yeah. he did it, and it's not that far off wrong. So why would the CBC's right? Pull yourself off Twitter. And what about? Uh, by the way, speaking of Elon, you know, he's. I think uh, he was. He was. He was on Tucker Carlson just the other night. How did? How did all of that go down? Where he's aligned himself? Don't know. But what it's here's the thing: he's aligned himself with the right bullshit yep. brigade. But I'll tell you, it hurt him. You know that fucking stock when he, he, he's he's halved. It's lost almost half its value. Half of $24 billion he's lost for that company since he took over. So fuck him. No, I know. It's just interesting because interesting. There it is again. Funny. Um, <laughs> there was a time I found Elon Musk interesting because of what he had done and what he had accomplished. And now he's just he's turned into an like I find him very. um you know, I don't want to. I really don't care about him anymore. I don't care yeah. what he has to say. Weird, isn't it? Just yeah, it is weird because he's gone from somebody I, I would agree that I admired and I thought, you know, wow, this yeah. guy's pretty bright. And but the funny thing is, what this has done is given him all this exposure to find out what he's really like. Will mm-hmm. I still drive a Tesla? Yes, I will. Why? Because hypocrisy <laughs> is me. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, I mean, you know, like a, like not only Fox News, but my point was, is that like SpaceX, which he owns, that's been government funded. Like there's crazy amounts of money that went yeah, into that, and then where do you cut the, the where do you cut it yeah. off? Is what is what is funding? You know, a tax yeah. incentives for his cars. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's yeah. it's uh, it's not part of his agenda, Dan. It's not well, part no, of his narrative, and that's that's what it's all about nowadays. It's 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 you know. And again, you know, when you want to talk about freedom, and I, I totally agree with the CBC. If they don't like that, then get off Twitter. How um, damaging that might be f- uh, to them in the long run, who knows? But 
that's an option. Um, I know this isn't in your newscast, Dan, but uh, I have had it for a couple of days. The uh, Public Service Alliance of Canada representing 35,000 CRA workers and 120,000 staff across uh, the country are ready to move forward with one of Canada's largest strikes if a deal is not reached by uh, 9 o'clock tonight. You okay? <laughs> sorry. You okay? <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I got a little emotional. That story make you want to poop, <laughs> I just caught a little bit. Of, I for, You know what? For, right. Just for a second, I forgot what we were doing. Um, yeah, you forgot where you were, what you were doing. <laughs> I've done that. I did. I'm like, am I talking to these guys or am I just going to burp? I apologize. Uh-huh. I just wonder, you know, because I've done my taxes, you've done them. Uh, so I don't care whether they go on strike or not, but I wonder if a lot of, because it's the, there's like 13 days left to do it, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you talk about taxes and I was thinking about the, this the other day and I, I'm sure you do. You know, I, again, I worry about my kids and especially the price of food. Again, I was in Sobeys yesterday too. And it was like, I noticed a bag of like chips, like a lot, like not a personal bag, like a bag of chips, a big one. you buy. Family like size. Four, it's like four dollars and twenty nine cents now, mm. or four forty nine. A bag that would have been like three twenty nine or something a year ago or whatever. And I'm thinking that's more than ten percent. Anyway, and then I've talked about the prime minister, and he doesn't seem to really want to address the plight of millennials, those people in the middle right now that are just scrambling to survive. How about this? How about a grocery? Um tax um what do you call it what do you call a tax thing when you get a uh jesus christ it was just a refund uh rebate yeah Uh, tax credit how about how about grocery tax credit so they've determined that the average family's going to spend like 1500 more or something a year in groceries how about a three thousand dollar tax credit if you're under a certain income level which would turn into fifteen hundred dollars off your taxes sure let's do it and and they would argue, oh, we can't afford that. Well, then look after your wasteful spending in Ottawa, and then maybe you can afford to give that break to the kids. I don't know. I just you got to come up with some ideas. These, well, listen, man, I think that's. I I personally love that idea. Uh, I think that's one of the best ones you've had, not only today, but for some time. It's certainly better than fat people in cages. That's what I would say. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly beat that one. Uh, I don't know why. Why don't they do a lot of things? But, you know, it seems like, you know, Pierre Polyev, he's got all the answers. Meanwhile, we'll see, won't we? Here's the question. I was thinking about him yesterday. Like, what would I ask him? Should he ever have the courage to come on this program? And the thing I'd say to him is, what was the last real job you had? Because he's been in fucking government for 20 years, hasn't he? I couldn't tell you. Well, I think he's been there for a long time. Longer than he'd like people to know. I said, what, what was your real job? Like, what is your connection to, like, you know, what was your gig before you were uh, going to be prime minister? Because, you know, well, because so pe- many of them are lawyers. Was he not a lawyer? P- perhaps. Dan, do some <laughs> research. What was his uh, thing? I'm going on his. Here's the thing. Like, Trudeau got so much flack for. You know, what was his qualifications? And, and rightly so. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Polyev has served as a member of parliament since 2004. You know, how old is the guy? 43. So he's 43. So half his life has been being a member of parliament. 
which is fine, but it goes back to my point about let's get people in there that aren't professional politicians. I know they all were lawyers first, but let's get people in there that are like they did. They 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 were they worked for a grocery store. You know what I mean? They worked in a real job that affects everybody at a very sort of, you know, a sort of a, a, what do they call that? A retail level. Sure. I mean, whatever it takes, right? But even when you look at, like, the current guy, if his name wasn't Trudeau, with his level of intelligence and his, you know, you know, so-called portfolio or experience in life, he would have he would have never gotten near probably any level of politics. No, definitely, no, yeah, for sure. Definitely not the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. It's all because of the name Trudeau. But he doesn't bring anything with that intelligence, like, um, anyway, and what it takes. So, right. So, who give, give me a profile of somebody who would be good as the leader of the Conservative Party. So, what do you say? Definitively, what, you, what do you think would be good? Are you talking to and me? This isn't a leading question. No, I'm just I, asking. I don't. The profile, the type of person. Yeah. You know, maybe somebody that ran a big company. Maybe somebody. I, I the first thing, first like Trump. No, like uh, John Cassidy. <laughs> no, no, I get it. That's yeah. a, that's mm-hmm. the type of person. Like somebody that ran a, a company, three or four thousand people that had day to day. And I only thought of him because he has retail experience. He ran companies. Mm-hmm. He was at Campbell's. He he was a professional. Somebody that's a professional CEO that has. That's not the the sort of, you know, like the standard. He's Polyev for whatever you think of him. He's a pretty standard politician. He was the shadow no, shadow minister for jobs and industry of Canada, but he never actually was in jobs or industry. So let's get right, some, I let, get it. Let's get somebody mm-hmm. out west who we know works in an oil company or has a. When I say retail, you know, again, Galen Weston is. But there, what a fucking mistake that was. I've had that conversation this weekend with people like, what a mistake. But let's <laughs> say he, someone like Galen Weston, give him a, that type of guy, maybe not a billionaire, but somebody that is running a retail outlet where human beings, you know, are affected by the price of a bag of chips. I know that's not the best example, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's the profile that I would imagine. No, I and again, I I don't even I'm not questioning that. It's uh, it's like what is the answer? I, you know, they say municipal governments are more like running a business than any other level of government. So, um, you know, that's why John Tory seemed to be a good fit. Hey, do you think Tory? Do you think the reason? Because even after the fact, once the dust dust had settled, there was a lot of people within council that thought, you know, John should rerun or we should rethink him leaving. Do you think he will end up with that 31-year-old? I'm just wondering if that will, if that was part of his... Oh, I thought you were going to say, will he end up coming back for the job? No, no. What, I, I'm just wondering if we'll find out that that is now a relationship. Because hmm. I was going to say, hey... Mm-hmm. John Tory could run again based on that mini scandal. If sure if could. fucking Trump is running again based on being the devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Dandaran, I know you got to go. I know you're giving me the wrap up body language. So mm-hmm. um, tomorrow, I'll tell everyone we got a nice program. 
Jeff Merrick, what a great uh, broadcaster and good friend of ours coming on the show tomorrow to talk about, well, what do you think? The NHL playoffs. And we'll look forward to that conversation. And Dan, um, you know, you're, you don't have to worry. We won't like it, but we can do the show without you, okay? Okay. Well, All right, I'll buddy. some sort of special the, intro or not, you know? Okay. By the way, I don't know if you were listening, but Kevin Donovan was talking about the potential for a movie for the billionaire murders, and we recommended that you could play him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that, yeah. Yes. That'd be great. Because that is in your wheelhouse. He's a newsman. Mm-hmm. You're yes, an anchorman. Yes. yes, good point. Uh, and by the way, Dan, not only is there bubble chicken, but there's some lovely potato wedges as well. Okay. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Lovely seasoning with that, I imagine. Oh, yes. Fantastic. Okay, so this episode of Hubble and Old Red Frank was brought to you by the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bodog, Aaron Ventures, evnet.ca, and GoDaddy. We read all of our emails, most of them on the air, too, on the Friday show, Hubble and Fred at HubbleandFredRadio.com. Liking and subscribing really helps us out by charging up the getting notice algorithms. So does getting your friends to listen to just one show. Just one show. It's like Sean. Welcome, Sean. For Hubble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And remember, every day is interesting. Interesting and funny. Funny and interesting. Enjoy every goddamn day. We're now jobs and jamboree handouts. Two turntables and a microphone. Bottles and cans. Just clap your hands. Just clap your hands. Where's that?